do you have any any ground rules anything you want to lay out before we start not at all no i'm an open book let's let's get let's just get cancelable <laughs> <laughs> yeah i want to get canceled uh after today's uh today no <laughs> i, I want to get scheduled well i guess my first question how is your retirement account going these days is it in better shape Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin and Dave. Hello. 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 Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. This week, we are thrilled to welcome a very special guest to the show, Josh Rubin. Hello, Josh. We'll see. Hey, guys. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much for joining us. If you listen to the show, you know Josh Rubin from our episode 70 Back in the summer of 2021, we talked about Werewolves Within, which Josh directed, and we talked about a movie called Scare Me, which Josh wrote, directed, produced, and starred in, along with Aya Cash and Chris Redd. We are all big fans of both Scare Me and Werewolves Within, and we've just been waiting to see what you do next, and here we are. You are starring uh, alongside Sarah Lind, who we know from uh, Wolf Cop, in a brand new Shutter exclusive hitting December 1st called A Wounded Fawn. This is co-written and directed by Travis Stevens, who we know from directing Jacob's Wife and The Girl on the Third Floor. We've all seen A Wounded Fawn now. And Josh, my first question is, how did this role come about for you? Well, uh, pleasure to be here. Travis Stevens DM'd me on Twitter and said, I think you're crazy enough to be great for this. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> my shoulders go up when I receive just about any script because it's very hard to write them. And most of them are terrible, including mine, uh, when I pop them out. And I cracked this one open um, and I wrote Travis immediately. And I said, this is genius. I, I have to be a part of it. I mean, it's, it's Patrick Bateman in the Evil Dead cabin and I have to take a swing and, and do it. And um, he's a visionary. He's a visionary and he, he wants to work with uh, with young up and coming talent. You know, the crew he brought together and everything else. In fact, I got to work with Sarah, who's like a real actor. And just to just to just be in the, the acting seat it was really pretty fucking incredible. I have, you know, it's it's, it's been a while. Like I, it still isn't quite the movie isn't out yet. Maybe by the time this is out, it will be. But uh, it, it I'm, I'm a little uh, it hasn't quite sunk in yet that uh, a movie I'm star I'm starring in is coming out for the first time since since Scare Me, um, and uh, people seem to like it. So with Scare Me, you did the writing, the obviously the financing, producing, acting, directing. Then you got to go to Werewolves Within, where you got to focus just on directing. Now you're in a Wounded Fawn, where you just get to focus on the acting. Do you have a preference? Or how do you prep for some of this stuff when you have a singular versus a dual or triple role? Well, to prep for the the, the dual or triple role, I actually called Jim Cummings because he'd done it before me with Thunder Road and was about to go off to Wolf of Snow Hollow. And I said, how did you do it? So that, you know, I, I've, I've done the quote unquote triple threat thing for years, but on the small scale, like college humor videos, ton of yep. ton of sketches where I'd be in it and I'd direct and 
you know, uh, wrote it, whatever would fly around. The movie's a whole different animal. And Jim was basically like, learn your lines so that you can bait. That can be the last thing you need to worry about, which on scare me, I absolutely did not. I had my script in my hand. I'd look at it and then I'd, you know, I was a terrible partner to myself, but a great partner to, to Chris and Aya on that job. But to prep, you just have to really, really learn your shit. I mean, it's no, not that much different than just how I like to prep as a director. I'm totally uh, flabbergasted by directors who show up and they're just like, let's figure it out. Or what do you think? I, 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 I have nightmares if I don't assemble a shot list. I, I, I pre-shot list uh, everything sometimes even before I see the location. So um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an intense, obsessive prepper even even doing busy work when i probably don't need to with wounded fawn it's great because you know it's it's I, i'm at the i'm at the behest of the i'm at the the service of the director so in this case travis you know he sent me a list of questions it had been a long time since i gotten that what what type of person do you think this you know this bruce character is how do you think he grew up do you think he was abused what, what do you think these nightmares are like you know all these kinds of things i was like oh shit i haven't really sort of done this in in, in some time or thought this way in some time it's always so technical. Uh, so that was really nice. Just nice to just go in and just listen and focus on my instrument, like losing a little bit of weight and thinking about how I would, uh, how I would exude some kind of sexual confidence, which is a, you know, comedian and filmmaker. I don't think about, or don't often get to live in haven't again, since, you know, acting school and that type of, uh, that type of expressionism was exciting. As far as preference, I mean, nothing's really better to me. I, I like all of it, but nothing's really better than, you know, being a leader, uh, especially of something you you've you've written. The Werewolves was a really wonderful experience. You know, to go in with such a great script like that, and they had such trust in me. But I think I think directing is great. But I think what would be killer is to do something on a werewolves esque scale that I've written that I could you know I could uh, I could be my weirdo leader self, maybe cameo in and just bring in all all my buddies. You know, essentially just doing werewolves again, but you know, uh, with my my weirdo writing would be fun. Do you think that because you came from comedy, that there's a place that you could go in horror where you wouldn't be able to return to comedy? Like, could you star in like a Serbian film and then go back to comedy? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm a I'm a pretty docile uh, horror cinephile i i can't even i read the synopsis of of serbian film i was like what's this all about and then i got to like you know sentence three and was like oh fuck i can't like i i couldn't do that i still haven't seen human centipede i i can't i can't do hostile like i'm a very very i developed this like sensitive gut but i couldn't begin to articulate my love for all things freddy krueger and the spear kill in friday the 13th part three and, you know, uh, I mean, whatever, like real werewolf horror, not like werewolves within werewolf horror, but like the real shit, like the wolf, you know, the dog soldiers shit, you know, um, nice. I'd like to go, I think with whatever my next directorial effort is going to be. And there's a few that's, that definitely exist on the horror comedy spectrum, but I, I am going to push it. I want to push it the way probably Jordan Peele was like, Ooh, people, people didn't think I get out was a horror film and I want to push us. I want to get, uh, you know, I, I want to, I want to make people kind of go, Oh shit. Oh yeah. He went there. You know, it's not soft. Um, I'm excited for that because uh, you know, it's constantly studying and constantly challenging. You know, I'm keeping up with people like fucking Parker Finn now, you know, who really went all out for something like smile or, or even like Helena rain with, with bodies, bodies, bodies. It's a brutal movie. It's so fun. Loved it. like, oh shit. Yeah. Wow. That loved it. 
love yeah. it. And yeah. there's this new movie, and you guys will love it if you haven't seen it already. I saw a sneak preview of a movie called Sick by John Iams, who did Alone, which is phenomenal. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, shit, okay. If I, I thought Radio Silence was doing pretty well, like John Hyams doing a Kevin Williamson slasher in the COVID world is uh, was one of the best things I've seen. I'm like, okay, now I have to, now I got to step my game up, you know? Why do you think, and, and everybody, you know, Jordan Peele's been asked this question by Trevor Noah recently, but why do you think that so many people that grew up in the comedy and improv comedy world why are they taking over horror right now and doing it so well? I think that's a great question. I mean, I think um, uh, there's probably, I'm sure like Zach Kreger and Krasinski and, you know, Jordan Peele could probably articulate this way better than me, but my personal sense of it is that we, um, yes, they're one and the same and, you know, horror and comedy have there. There's a kinship there. If you listen to the soundscape of a theater with a horror movie and a comedy, there's almost sort of very similar. The you know the loud reactions and the ups and downs and such. Um, the releases, but I think for us uh, former comics or sketch comics or people who played in that world, characters, we took risks. That's just that was the whole thing about comedies. You push you you um you constantly push at that threshold to see how far you can take something. You certainly saw this with Barbarian, like Zach Kreger. You can so tell that that dude is a comedy guy with the Justin Long scenes and then like what you know what the reveal was and what that character is and was and the fetish, you know, kind of angle of it. Even the flashback, my God. Um I think we all push and know how to push and uh we're all probably, you know, dark personalities and have, you know, gallows humor abounds in our DNA, but um, we all are risk takers. And I think there's just something, something about that third gland we have, in, you know, in our forehead or whatever that uh, as comedians, where we just like, we want to push and take swings and there's kind of a fearlessness. I'd like to think that's what it is. Um, it's like a, it's and, like a loophole because, you know, yeah. you can't insult people, but you can kill them. Yeah, there you go. Josh, you talked about being immediately taken with the script for A Wounded Fawn. And I, I'm just curious if there was any intimidation at all once you saw what would be asked of you in that role? Because I absolutely loved your performance in Scare Me. I thought it was incredibly impressive. I thought this is obviously someone who has spent time on a theater stage and has done improv, but this is a crazy role. I wondered, one, if, if there was any intimidation, and two, how you prepared for this role and, and how you approached it. There wasn't too much intimidation. I think if I was playing a father who lost both of his kids um, in uh, Serbia, uh, in some sort of... What if you yeah, had to fuck them? Whatever the, whatever the circumstance, um, then it probably would have been a different circumstance. But this, it just kind of felt like it didn't feel like I could roll out of bed and do this, but I had played in this world a little bit, whether in just in just slightly in short films I'd done before. I did a short film called Cabin with the, the DP of uh, Scare Me, Brendan Banks, who, who had directed that and just was like, ooh, I want to play someone kind of nasty or someone who's kind of going down the, um, the mental spiral a bit and who might have kind of a darkness in him. So I, in a way, I'd kind of trained 
for it, prepared for it, and just was stoked on the idea of it on like my, you know, evil ash kind of a thing. And the prep was really, again, it was just like reading the script with Travis and Sarah, like reading those, those kind of longer dialogue driven scenes, the scenes at the dinner table, the scene in the, in, you know, in the car, it was just like, let's just read it again. Let's just read it again. And then every time, you know, in acting school, it was all about subtext and, you know, um, what sort of energy am I exuding to make you feel a certain way? How am I trying to make you feel? We would literally call the exercise I make use. And I would sort of go back to that acting school exercise, you know, with Sarah in the car across the table. Like I make you squirm. I make you look down. I make you, you know, it's just kind of like, almost like you're, and I'd all, this is all internal. I'm not saying any of this out loud, but it's just going back to, I don't know, some, some acting school techniques I hadn't done in so long. It's just like so great. And also just as a filmmaker, I get to sit back as an actor and watch how this filmmaker talks to his crew, works with his actors, um, how concisely he gives direction and everything. And he's exemplary at it. So I get to archive that as a student and then bring that on to my next thing. You know what I mean? You mentioned Barbarian already, which uh, we we're covering on the show very soon. I'm obsessed with that movie. I got a lot of a lot of vibes from what, you know, Travis may have been using as inspiration for this. And this is another one of those movies kind of like Barbarian, where Barbarian really flips some tropes and gives you, you know, dual, triple twists. Uh, yeah. Fresh is a movie that came out this year uh, with yeah. Sebastian Stan that sort of has like a similar premise. I got like a real like House of the Devil vibe from the way that this was yeah. shot the house that Jack built this movie just like really reminded me of a lot of things. But then again, it's like wholly original throwing in the Greek mythology, but really for you, how was it going into a film where this is really the first big thing you've done that doesn't have a lot of comedy. There isn't a lot of comedy in this unless you need to now school me uh, in what I may have missed watching, watching a wounded font. I mean, I, I will say, no, I don't need to school you, but I, I will say, I think there's something so delightfully fucking squirmy about this dude. And I, I, I don't yeah. think I 1000% nailed this type of character, but there is a spectrum of um, entitled know-it-all mansplainer that Bruce is that makes me like, that makes me kind of cackle. And then I think, you know, Sarah has this kind of twisted sense of humor and an observationist in her where she recognizes that as well. This is a guy that we unfortunately all know, an egoist know-it-all. And that makes me, that kind of tickles me. And I, um, so there's, there's kind of like dark humor in that. And then of course, in him just, you know, in just the extravagant circumstances that ensue in like part two and all the way through to the end, like it just being a complete you know, um, mental breakdown shit show is just so fun. And so, and so funny it was, it was wild to go, you know, see this movie at Tribeca and fantastic fest and beyond fest and people, the way people were laughing, just, in, you know, the, like at those, what the fuck Bruce moments where he's just reacting to, you know, the stove coming to life from Mullen bars, butt being burned by the furnace and, you know, yeah. just these like bizarre images. It's, it's a, such a singular type of movie. So I do think that there's a, a very dark comedic element to it um, that I don't know. I, it, it felt like a oddly comedic performance to me in the way, maybe even like, you know, you could say 
I'm not going to compare myself at all to you can't to Bruce Campbell is a very different role, but that, you know, you might not say like, Oh, that's a, it's a comedic role that he's playing. It was definitely played a little more buoyant, but there's something about that was like, Oh, he's just playing for the stage. You know, he's playing it kind of um, he's, he's taking swings and that feels inherently comedic to me for what it's worth. I, I even thought um, your outfit at a certain point in the movie, you kind of have the Ash outfit on. I yeah, I think that was, was all Travis. I think he was like, yeah. yeah, let's go, which which is also the Fred outfit. I didn't even really realize that my, my wardrobe designer on Scare Me did, did did essentially the same look. I have the white <laughs> undershirt and the, you know, so it's like, wow, this is just a Fred spinoff. Um, things went the other way. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. I, I, I dug it. Yeah, well, and you I, even I, said you said that, that this is almost like Fred, but a little sexier. And I thought like the two yeah. characters, Bruce and Fred, like they had a lot in common. But uh, Bruce was just like a little more sexy. Yeah, he had a little more confidence. That was the acting challenge, which truly was, again, it's, it's like a comedian who's, you know, been sort of flamboyant playing goblin characters and oddballs and sketch and this, that and the other thing my whole life was like, ooh, let's try and do what's the what's that like seductive thing that I do or like the tiny, tiny micro piece of Josh that I could tap in because that's, that's what this guy is and what he does. And it was a little bit, a little bit, I was making probably too many jokes on the beyond fest stage about this, but it was like, well, you know, I never thought I was like cute or attractive, but let's like actually try and use these cheekbones. This is a guy that knows what he's got, you know, um, my whole life when people, you know, when, when, when girls, when anyone be like, well, you're so handsome, you're so this, I never, ever see myself. There's a dysmorphia I have about that. But with Bruce, this guy knows what he has. And so it was kind of, you know, I had to reach into that and be like, okay, well, what, you know, if I do have it, have it. Let me, you know, what am I using and how can I use it? And that was like so much a part of my acting challenge was, you know, kind of get, getting over myself and kind of self-loving a little bit. So thank you, Bruce, you murderer. I can't believe you just said when girls tell me, oh, you're so handsome. It, it never, I mean, it's found it upon that. <laughs> it took me, it took me 33 years really to hear it. I was always the, wow, you're so, wow, you're cute. You know, you're cute. But Bruce, Bruce, in in his mind anyway, Bruce is hot, you know, and I was never called hot. And I was like, oh, no, Bruce is hot. You know, what's that? What's that like? What's it like to do that? Play that know it on top of everything else. And then when he opens his mouth, he's talking about, you know, Otto Yodelangi and uh, all this other shit. I think maybe uh, at your cutest, <laughs> I think uh, was probably <laughs> Devin the Troll. <laughs> uh, and scare me. I loved how you personified Fred's writer's block uh, in that in all yeah. the stories, but uh, especially with Devin the Troll, it was refreshing to see a movie lean into the awkwardness of being uninspired in writer's block. Now, like when you write, does Fred's character ever haunt you? Do you ever think like, oh my God, I'm, I'm being Fred? <laughs> <laughs> oh, too, yeah, prob probably without, probably subconsciously, because, you know, Fred is so much, it's so much of that is me. I mean, ideally not the any of the, the, the darker kind of more, uh, I don't even want to say villainous parts, but just the toxic parts. But he's just, you know, he's stuck and we all get stuck as, uh, as creatives. I, I probably get a little bit of his, uh, you know, his voice and the, the cavernous uh, bowl of my head every once in a while. Um, but you know, I, I've also been Fanny. Like I've also been so frustrated by people who only are interested in the end game. You know, the only, only see the article or only see the accolades, but don't do the work. And that shit drives me crazy. And even, even when I don't do the work. So 
I'm so much Fred, but I'm so much Fanny too. Um, why don't you just do the fucking work and then maybe you'll, you know, whatever. And then of course yeah. then I sitting there and looking at my phone for, you know, four and a half hours. That, that, that's one of the things that I thought was so brilliant about scare me is that on the one hand, I felt like it's illustrating this, this sort of imposter. Um, then like you say that who, somebody who doesn't is not really interested in the work. They're interested in calling themselves something, but at the same time, it was very relatable too in like, okay, I've rented the cabin. I'm, I'm going out to the secluded cabin. And I'm going to get some writing done. And then, mm -hmm. you know, there you are at the cabin, werewolf, revenge, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, have another beer. I'm not sure. Um, so I, I, I really thought that was just such an amazing mouse. There's that kind of duality of that role, you know, and, and everybody who does anything, I think, in this realm obviously struggles from time to time with imposter syndrome. And so it, it's almost like anybody is kind of playing those roles back and forth. Yeah, I, I think within themselves all the time. I, I do. You, how do you do you manage? imposter syndrome at times because to me you're like this amazing talent who's doing all this incredible stuff and i wonder if if that's ever something that you deal with i have i have no imposter syndrome i feel constant um it's not even it's not even fomo it's like i can't maybe it's a combination of of be, this an inability to reach a certain level and maybe it's why i'm constantly focusing on like output i feel always like <clears throat> i'm never doing enough and and yet that what i'm the stuff i'm doing is like mediocre so i'm constantly striving for well what's something that can make as much of a splash as you know what what what, what everybody's hanging out with brian fuller including brian fuller i'm obsessed with brian fuller now he's like my new you know i'm like wow he's i've loved everything he's done <clears throat> he's doing this Friday the 13th prequel, you know, but that there's a dude who like really put in the work and TV and my God, Hannibal directing, you know, a, a Christine movie. Uh, I look at, you know, even people like Craiger, I'm like, Oh shit, you were able to push, push this thing through and follow your fingers and come up with a super original idea. And I've done that before, you know, and had the Sundance run and all this shit. But I, I constantly feel like I'm, I'm just a bit of more of a hamster in a wheel than I have imposter syndrome. I, I, I know I'm fully aware that I'm churning shit out. I'm fully aware that I'm doing the thing and that people there, are, you know, the handful of people out there that admire my shit, but you know, I'm definitely striving for the, um, having done a moneymaker. I think that's, I think that's a big thing is there, there's the commonality with all these from Helena rain to Mimi cave and, and Parker Finn certainly Jordan and, and uh, Krasinski is they've made money. Der Scott Derrickson, they, you know, they've, their movies have made, have made money. I I've had two critically acclaimed movies that have, you know, come out and I keep doing these kind of indies. And I also, there's a, there's a piece of me like 14 year old, like cinephile Josh would love modern day. Josh would love 39 year old. Like you're doing fucking yeah, indies yeah. And wearing mm. your blazer and doing your panels and flying <laughs> to Austin. Well, and I, I love it, but, and I, I'm also not a materialistic money chasing kind of dude, as you can tell by the, these teensy movies and little, you know, self-publishing things I'm doing, but um, that's, that's what I'm, ex I'm excited to do that next thing so that it gives me more power to then go to filmmakers who need help. Like I'm producing for other buddies and stuff like that to find a little bit of money for them to scrap together. Like I, I want to, I want to have like that Scott Derrickson power to then go to a kid and be like, let me find you a million and a half dollars for you to do whatever you want, because I know you're fine. Cause that, that, that is the ultimate, I think self-actualization I can imagine myself yeah. sort of doing, 
Duplassian way, you know. The Kreger story is incredible. Um, how he got Barbarian off the ground. I can, yeah. I, I mean, I, I put, I'm, I'm putting you in that same boat. I, I don't see how you don't end up there. We're talking about a, a wounded fawn and obviously your previous work, but you also have blood relatives coming out. So you have, you know, this is four, four movies, four pretty high profile horror movies in a very short amount of time. And it's, now I've put myself, I booked myself on 35 podcasts to promote <laughs> all of my, yeah, look, all of my look, indies. We felt sweet. I'd say you've made it. You're here. I <laughs> made it, baby. We felt special. <laughs> you know Hell what, yeah. Josh? We felt special for a minute. And then we saw your tweet and we were like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Oh, no, you're, I'm, I will I'm not going to, I'm not going to repeat any of these answers. You guys are all getting artisan uh, responses. I, I, I once heard uh, David Spade refer to guesting on podcasts as the jury duty of the entertainment industry. <laughs> so I, I appreciate every minute, Josh. <laughs> Beautiful. Me too. Um, so, I, and hey, I love like it was re it's just to quickly talk about that. It's really kind of amazing. You know, 30 plus people reach out and say, would you be on my show? And, and there's a lot of all of them are so incredibly grateful. Some of them I've heard of. Some of them I haven't. And someone said, like, man, this guy's a real mensch. This guy's a legend for doing it. I'm just like, if it helps, you know, anybody, you know, uh, Joe Schmo's show, perhaps that has a handful of subscribers, or if, if you guys get a kick out of it at your level, it, it's all the same to me. It's a, we're all, you know, like high, high tide raises all, all boats, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, and it's also a thrill to talk about it. Like in these types of movies, even though there's a press run with Shudder, with AMC for Wounded Fawn and for Blood Relatives, it's still it's still kind of garage band in that way. We're still like guerrilla filmmakers, you know, so let's let's pave our own way. Let's make our own kind of press tour. The, and podcasts do live on. That's no joke. The show gets more popular. Maybe I put a movie out next year that, you know, gets gets more kind of well known. They look me up. They're like, what did he say that got him canceled on on Speak All Evil? Um, for example, you know, all, and they're like they, they find all kinds of nuggets. You know what I mean? So what did you find scarier, uh, Barbarian or Epstein's flight log? Oh, my God. That's right. <laughs> well, obviously, obviously you wanted to be canceled. I'm, I'm trying yeah, exactly. Oh, I yeah, well, I should be. Oh, well, the flight log was a wonderful. Um, no, uh, <laughs> that wasn't I mean, a real question, but oh no, I, oh, I'm I'm gonna write a whole I'm gonna write a whole dissertation <laughs> to, to uh, that should be released with this with this episode. But I did want to say that what you were saying uh, about your younger self seeing where you're at now, kind of being a pushing force or an inspiration. I'm a musician. I often do that if like younger me could see me now i would be happy but if future me looks at me now I, you know can internalize all that i actually know uh i know your sister rachel <laughs> oh shit oh my yeah. god yeah i, I used mean, to perform with ray lamonte well oh my yeah i mean like rachel to see my sister open for oh god david gray at madison square garden you know in front of thirty thousand people and be like oh shit now that's she she was she was the first celebrity really in in our in our family. I mean she you know she is the celebrity of our family. And then to like kind of quote unquote follow in that footsteps and also to see how gracious she's been along the way. How she you know sends the elevator back down. She's you know um, kind of the ideal role model to that degree. And she also the reason why it's my favorite piece of trivia about werewolves within. It's a lot of people are like man Ace of Base. What a great needle drop. Well the reason yeah. why Ace of Base 
I saw the sign is in Werewolves Within is because Rachel took me to see Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday. And uh, she came into my room and I'm nine years old. And she's my older sister saying like, hey, do you want to go see Jason Goes to Hell? And I'm like, you're going to drive me to the theater and we're going to see it. It was the best moment ever. We get in her (laughs) Volkswagen Rabbit. An ace of bases, I saw the sign comes on the radio. And so that tune played as we headed to like Cineplex Odeon in Potomac, Maryland to see this horror movie with my older sister. It was just kind of like bonding moment. And uh, you know, so she was my she was my horror gateway, really, you know. Introduced wow. me to and all that. Mm-hmm. I asked your sister to marry me once. <laughs> um, only Dave, my name is Dave Gutter. Uh, and I just told her that uh hyphenated she would be rachel yamagata gutter (laughs) which you know you know in the industry a name like that could go far i i agree i agree i think clive davis could really do a lot with the hey uh josh uh, just i have one one more question about a wounded fawn i i'm dying to know if the final scene without spoiling oh god is that one shot one take or is there some edit there? That is one shot, one take, one yes! film cartridge. Yes! So wow. film cartridges, the, the oh. film cartridge is eleven minutes. I think wow. you're seeing. I, I think you're seeing like nine of eleven of those minutes. Wow! Or something like that. Yeah. That must have been. Ask a... if that was film. <laughs> yeah, pre Pearl too. Meet your yeah. heart out, uh... Mia Goth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, why didn't Why didn't you guys go uh, like? The only thing that didn't look seventies about this movie was like mm-hmm. the car and the cell phones. But other than uh-huh. that, it almost had like, it follows what era is this kind of vibe at some yeah. points. That's the wild thing. I mean, I, I love the aesthetic of it so much. I had a moment, I think maybe Travis is the one who mentioned it because during, during, when we were at Tribeca, they were also screening Basket Case, which was basically, you know, that was, yes. was obviously- You just showed that at a theater for Halloween. Oh my God, yes. And I, I remember seeing that, you know, for the first time and, but I remember seeing it in 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 at Tribeca when you know when down the street they were playing Basket Case and just knowing that it, we had a movie that was sort of on the similar film stock was just so yeah. cool like yeah. such a formative. And there were moments just watching watching myself on that screen with like the grain cut across my face specifically when they when they went into the tunnel and I, I was watching the movie really for the first time they drove into the tunnel and just the way that the sodium vapor like like yeah looked. yeah like you looked at her there was something so basket case era it was like i wouldn't have you know it would have would have seamlessly transitioned into him showing her his uh his brother latched to his side um i wouldn't have <laughs> i wouldn't have flinched um but yeah no hey that's a question for travis i i uh, right. i'm thrilled about the look yeah it looks great Hey, Josh, I've been following your campaign, and I want to make sure we get to this. Uh, I've been following your campaign online about remaking Darkman. Oh, yeah. Can you, can you talk about that for a minute? I want to remake Darkman. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty straightforward. I, uh, that's probably all I can say, although I did let it slip to a, um, a Mexican magazine uh, journalist I spoke to earlier today, this wonderful guy named Joel. Uh, that I, I spoke to Ramey about this idea. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have an idea. I love the idea. It's sort of not explicitly on pause, but um, I can say I've talked to Ramey about my Darkman idea, but that's probably probably all I can say. And I, I 
love the idea. My guess is that we won't hear anything about any movement on anything unless maybe someday I make that, uh, I have that smile sized hit would be, would right. be my guess. So we all have to put that energy out into the world. Like, okay, let's see if this guy can push it to that edgy direction so that we can see that he can do some, uh, maybe he can, he can act in the dark man world with wounded fawn, but can he, uh, can he show someone going mad and tearing off some skin and throwing some bad guys off buildings? And that's, that's a piece of why I want to really push it on the next, you know, on the next one. What is the next one? What's to come? I mean, you've got two movies coming out now, but, but you, you're obviously already in development on something. I am. So there's there's this thing that happens after you get movies out where, you know, people come out of the woodwork and ask you to attach to stuff and you go into development on these scripts. You know, any director you talk to will say, well, well I'm attached to direct X, Y and Z. We've got to find finance. I'm attached to this thing. It's just an idea. And I'm developing it with these writers. I'm attached to direct four or five movies that are all super fun. I think two of them are going to happen quicker than than the others just because that's just, they're a little bit more baked as it were, but there is one just, I, I can't talk about any of them, but the, the, two, the two that I can sort of mildly wink to are, uh, one is definitely more on the comedy horror spectrum. And um, it's an homage to a type of movie that I used to love watching as a kid is one kind of a hint. And I'm working on it with Michael Kennedy who wrote freaky oh nice okay nice such a rad nice. dude yeah wow um, and, that's uh, great so i'm working on a project with michael kennedy and then the other thing would be a sci-fi that i want to shoot with a similar aesthetic to andy machete's it films so sort of a chapter out of a dairy uh, or a chapter out of a stephen king novel but with like a coen brothers-esque movie in that sort of universe but it's it's a sci-fi flick and i um i just think it's such a phenomenal script uh but that's all so you're not uh, in director jail then i was going to ask because i read that <laughs> i read a piece about with with zach Kreger talking about having ended up in director jail where he wasn't allowed to direct for a while and i was hoping that uh that wouldn't be the case yeah, but you know what? It's kind of it. It doesn't really exist, I think, unless maybe you're Victor Salva, in which case you should just be in jail. But um, you know, I think uh, <laughs> I think you know if you do a stinker, I feel like ultimately there's there's a way out. There's only so many like folks who are like good at the thing, you know. And Zach is so clearly good at it. the fact that he was able to like, you know, he did he did Miss March years ago, and yes, it was like I've I've done so many like you know bad bro videos just you know coming up in the college humor world and whatever that's 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 old news but the fact that he was able to like write this script like knock together some rip reels and get into the hands of Roy Lee what an incredible yeah. victory just what an insane mm. story and the fact that he's he roared out of quote-unquote director jail and just like you know blew the roof off of um you know the 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 genre world and, and the fact that it's basically like a, a perfect uh double feature with malignant was just like chef's kiss like that's just yeah. you know, totally my, my shit yeah. you know well it has talk- a really good script for a, a movie called namaste hey namaste. i think you ought to give it a chance it's <laughs> 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 about yeah. a psycho yoga instructor okay i'll send it along and give it a peek <laughs> i want it so. Uh, so one of the things i wanted to ask you a friend of mine lived in the same neighborhood as uh, Dylan Baker, the guy who plays uh, the pedophile yeah. in the movie Happiness. Yes. And he said that 
the he could not act normal around this guy. He was always terrified. He always thought he was in character. He's gonna now, drug my child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you have like now you have the nice guys gone bad, which I feel like you're falling yes. in this category. The oh yeah, baby, Jason Bateman <laughs> and Switch, or the Justin Longcon. Um, <laughs> so as an actor approaching epic creep status. Um, yeah, baby. Are you ever afraid that your fans are going to have a hard time differentiating your characters from the real you? Oh, I want them to. I want <laughs> them to think. I want them to be afraid because I used to get uh, so terrorized on the bus by my bully um, that, you know, to, to be now terrifying at, you know, five, seven and a half or whatever is uh, it's it's uh, full, full dreams. Awesome. Full dreams come true. Pipe casting yourself yeah. as a yeah, bad Josh, person. Josh is trying to go full nice. like Stanley Tucci from like the Lovely Bones. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, You're you the could never girl, look right? at the Tooch. Yeah, you could never yeah. look at the Tooch the same. That's exactly right. You can cook all the noodles you want, bro. I know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, I, I hear you uh you do a mean Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Well, I'm recovering from COVID. I wonder if I can pull it out. Uh, let me see. Just like uh, I can't do it without saying bitch. Um, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to say bitch. <laughs> what do you do? Yeah. Oh, God. Looks like, oh, man. Uh, but I think I'm just. <laughs> Don't, go for it. I think I'm, oh, wow. Oh, my God. I haven't done. I haven't. I haven't done it. Well, look at you. That's just Hulk Hogan. It's just Hulk Hogan. I've heard <laughs> I've heard the Freddy Krueger. Slam into a Slim Jim, bitch. That's uh, that's R- Roddy Roddy Roy Piper. No, that's Rob Savage. No, that's I the have, director have, Rob Savage. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho I have Mike two impressions. Uh, one is Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, and it's always in the context of like uh, something that's going wrong uh, in a small scale, like like uh, get out of there quick! It's just streaming the shutter, uh, or like. Uh, <laughs> And the other one is uh, Jimi Hendrix at a loss for words. And she's like, um, uh, yeah, man, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> With a lot of mic feedback, you just hear the mic go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for introducing me. I, I had no idea when I started watching Wounded Fawn. It, it, it begins with a title card quote. The quote is, I suddenly became aware that I was both mortal and touchable and that I could be destroyed. And the quote was attributed to Leonora Carrington. Um, so I'm watching the movie. I'm not really sure who that is, where the quote comes from. But since then, I have now become familiar with the amazing, I would call it surrealist art of Leonora Carrington, if I'm pronouncing it properly. RIP died in uh, 2011 at 94. And uh, if you want to check out some of her work, there are some paintings. There's particularly there's a painting called Operation Wednesday which features the two surgeon guys who are in a wounded fawn. Yes. Were, were you familiar with, with the work of this artist before? And No, but see, this is, this is why I have the best job in the world. And when it comes to these types of things, as an actor, is I just get to show up and like yell a little bit and put my weird, <laughs> put my weird fake eye on. And then Travis, <laughs> Travis has okay. to like read all these art books and, and, and rock a cool blazer and his tattoos and come off so smart. And uh, 
And then I get to learn about that after the fact and say something like, oh, my goodness, of course. Yes, uh, we were all pulling from uh, inspiration from the uh, surrealist movement of the uh, uh, Jurassic era. Um, you know, I'm still picking up jokes from Werewolves Within. I, I ended up seeing that movie three times just out of happenstance. Oh, bless you. And one of the most amazing things to me about that movie is that the third time I watched it, I was still picking up new jokes that I didn't see, that I didn't get, that I didn't hear. There's so much subtle humor. I mean, almost, I mean, it's almost a dangerous game, I feel like, when you're doing so many things that are so funny, but they're so quick and they're so sly and they're so subtle. I wondered if that was something that you guys talked about making the movie, if that was something that you tried to do, or if that's just kind of how funny you are and, and, and the writer and, and if that was just something that happened on its own. I'd love to think that it's because I'm so funny, but Mishnah, Mishnah Wolf writing was so funny. You also, you get this thing when you assemble a cast of people like Harvey Guillen and Sam Reich and George Basil and Sarah Burns and on and on and on, where they will just give you gold constantly. So, so even, even if you tell Harvey Guillen to just like do it clean, just do it as scripted, he's still going to give you something ridiculously funny like it or not. Um, and it's going to end up probably better than, than you could have imagined. So <clears throat> the movie ended up being chock full for many, many reasons. I mean, I'm working with a studio in Ubisoft. Um, I'm, I'm working with Brett Bachman who edited Mandy and the vigil who also is one of the funniest dudes ever. Yes. He's, I call him the secret weapon. He's now doing fall the house of, of usher with uh, Mike Flanagan, but he is oh, wow. so funny. He has almost, Almost this sort of like this, um, I don't want to say Edgar Wright person's uh, sensibility, but he, it's almost like a, like, a, like a Tim and Eric sense of humor. And so we, we were always looking for that weird kind of extra thing to do. And for me, I mean, I think why part of why it feels so chock full is when even when there isn't a bit of dialogue, if you watch this movie with a sound cranked up on your sound bar in a quiet room, you'll hear perfectly timed creaks to punctuate jokes. So like a floor will creak in a almost flatulent kind of way to punctuate some moment. And I did this too with, for, for Noah Sagan for Blood Relatives producing that movie is like, how can we push this? So much of my secret weapon is just adding sound design, little floor creaks or little, you know, someone's shouting in the background or a horn honk or whatever to just accentuate the comedy. And um, there's so much you can do with sound design. Sound design is everything, even if it's two in the ADR. Um, George Basil, when Rebecca Henderson, who's Dr. Ellis shot through the door and leans down and you can just see her eye in the background, George, when he came in to do ADR and he just improv the line, what are, what are eyeballs say? What did her eyeballs say? <laughs> and you can, if you listen closely, that's another fucking background atmospheric piece of the soundscape. That is so funny. And it's just a little addition. Some people don't catch it and other people do. It became a huge laugh. Might have been one of the few that weren't lost at Tribeca. We had an outdoor screening, which is sort of criminal, but it was during COVID. So yeah, I, I think I think as a filmmaker, I'm always going to be pushing that stuff. Uh, my guess is on the next, depending on what the next of those, especially those two movies I mentioned, I'll I'll prob probably gonna just by nature of the the context of it all, I'm gonna pull back just a pinch. Because uh, you know, one one is less funny than than the others anyway. Different kind of funny, but um, it is certainly part of my personality. Editing is so crucial; you can't throw that shit away. I'm flabbergasted right. by directors who just don't show up to their edit. Like sound design is everything. Like cutting on a on a, 
on a look or on a wink or on a moment, that moment has to be so dialed in. It's part of, you know, that can affect your whole enjoyment, frankly. That, that's, just, yeah. That, that's the thing that, that one flash where a character side eyes the bottle of Oxycontin on the, I mean, it, it's so funny. It, you might not see that until you watch it again three years from now. Yeah, I, that's that's exactly right. Or even like, you know, the, there was like a, a moment where Kathy Curtin's character says, don't touch that, please. And he was like, he ends up very briefly, George Basil again, ends up looking at the cleavage of this, like um this bow maiden, this little <laughs> statue sitting on a mantle. And it's again, it's just a super, super subtle, subtle moment. All that stuff is super crucial. It, it, it's the same thing as like, I, it took me years to figure out that stuff that Details like these can take the audience member out of it almost subliminally. Like when a camera is moving too much, if a camera is moving just to be a cool shot, as opposed to just staying with your character, like if you, I don't know if you've seen Tar recently, that's not a comedy, but it's got very dark sort of funny moments. Camera's doing nothing. You're just holding on these actors. And that's why Harold Ramis was the perfect choice to do Caddyshack when he was 20 some odd years old and they just, they needed a director. And he was so brilliant at it because he, he just knew he trusted the DP to find the light. They put the camera down and they just faced funny people. And there's so little you have to do, but you also have to have the understanding and the taste, which is learned, which took me years to know all the other stuff, like when to cut, what kind of sound design to support the scene, how much is too much. Don't be distracting. Don't take away from the performance. All, all that stuff is super, super crucial. Well, it's, um, fun, it's funny, like two things, one, Werewolves Within, you know, you, you did Scare Me and now you've done Wounded Fawn. Very small casts. It, it blew my mind when I saw Werewolves Within and, and what you and Trent were just talking about. Huge cast and so many people to direct and so much dialogue going on. Oh, yeah. Um, but then you also mentioned uh, sound design. One thing that I wanted to, to talk about with the Wounded Fawn this sound design is awesome. It is so refreshingly raw. Yeah. Uh, if you did a lot of ADR, it fooled me because the whole thing just sounded like there was so much sighing and breathing in real audio. You could tell the microphone is in that bathroom or it's mm -hmm. at that dinner table. Um, I just really loved that. So Jose Ramirez was our um, was the sound uh, mixer, you know, the guy in the ground holding the boom, like doing the thing. Um, mixing uh, in cameras. We were shooting Wounded Fawn. He's just so good, like so took his job seriously, but he was also just like s such a wonderful guy. Um, that's all Travis, you know, that's like, that is the thing of your taste catching up to your skill. Like Travis is as skillful as his taste is good. And that is a learned thing. It took me years to figure out all the shit I learned about comedic timing, even though I was like a naturally funny, like born comedian. And Travis, you know, he was a producer for other people for years, just like how I archive directors on set when I'm acting for them or vice versa. He clearly has learned, learned his stuff. He clearly knows his stuff and where he won't compromise. And that's why the film is so effective. It's also just like he, whether he intended to do this or not, you need to, movies need to be a splash. They have to make noise in order to be seen. It's a really tough market. This movie is so singular you can't you can't really replicate this if anything they're gonna they're gonna remake wounded fawn with a 25 million dollar budget and it could fail miserably or blow everybody out of the water right. in 15 years 
because it's such a wild idea and that kind of evil dead way. It's like, do the same thing, but, but with more money, how wild can you make, can you make the house implode? Can you, you know, bleed it out into the world, whatever it is. Um, and I'd, I'd be curious to see that, but just, that's, that's all Travis, you know, that's all skill. I thought in the, the three acts of the movie without giving anything away, uh, you went across the entire spectrum of like confident to vulnerable to tripping out to mentally ill. Um, and I feel like a lot of horror uh, roles require these things. Is acting in horror hard or is it like singing death metal and like anybody can do it? <laughs> I, I'd like to think not everyone can do. I'm sure everyone can do it. But I mean, I guess we're seeing that with some of the, you know, some of the, the bad horror movies we've seen in our, in our lifetime. Um, but a lot Even of that's good. Yeah, exactly. It's not a, lot, a lot of it, it's good. It's hardly a gutter genre that degree, but I, I don't think anyone can do it. Um, but I certainly think, you know, I always think people can certainly do it better than I can. I think you do. I think the reason why people like Travis probably was like, I can say this because I, I think he both and Sarah were saying this is like, he knew that I was going to make it weird. And he knew that I was going to get weird, as opposed to just hiring like, you know, Johnny Handsome from CSI or whatever. So, oh no, this 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 little dude's gonna make it weird because he comes from comedy. <laughs> he's played some fucked up characters. He's gonna make it weird, and that's gonna he that's it's really smart. It's like why you know it's what it's like why in certain casting I like to think outside the box. It's like when when direct young directors come to me and they're like, oh man, I'm trying to get an actor attached to my thing, and I'm like. You're, you're, you're getting too hung up and getting a name. Why don't you try think outside the box, get a musician, get a, get someone who, who's a, get a, a, a circus performer, get someone, go to the lyric Hyperion and figure out who's doing like the weirdest one person show go, you know, who, who, who are the mimes, who are the clowns, who are, who's who are like the experimental people. Um, and, and musicians too, all want to kind of act and are their performers too. Like, don't forget that stuff. Joseph Winter and Vanessa Winter just did the same thing with Melanie Stone. She's a singer and she's like, she's in all their stuff. Dead's Dream and their VHS segment. She's a, she's a genius. Well, that was one of the things that I thought was so great about your performance in Wounded Fawn is that that third act where you become the tormented, even though uh, we, we are not rooting for you, even though you are the villain you still played it in a way that I, I felt in that moment like I was watching a movie where somebody was being tormented who I cared about. The, the, the way you played it is I was scared for you. Even though yeah. I didn't even though I didn't like the, the character, I just felt like I was I was in a scary movie and I'm like, oh my God, this guy's being tormented. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, thank you. That's a big compliment. You love werewolves. And I, yeah. I saw that that Bad Moon was one of your favorite horror movies Ugh, I, wa I watched so it last good. night uh it's just so i'd be you know fresh on you know on your level and i noticed that michael paré's voice if you close your eyes is exactly the same as matt dillon <laughs> if you've ever noticed that it's like this, this thick caramelly kind of thing but um you have the werewolf kink i'm like way into bigfoot I love Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you are a fan of any uh, Bigfoot horror movies, but there aren't that many. No. And maybe you could help make a Bigfoot movie. <laughs> it's well, close. there is a Bigfoot movie. I, I have an angle for, but um, but 
you know, I can't really say much more. I, I would love to, I would love to tackle that, but I think, I think there's a way to do it where it's less expected than like, you know, Willow, even Willow Creek and like existence. I think there's a way to do it. That's like, Oh shit. I haven't seen that kind of angle before. And that's, that's not, it's not terribly trodden. I, I you know, um, I, I can't tell you the last time there was a theatrical Bigfoot one that actually kind of worked in the way that, you know, the ritual did the Wendigo. It's like, Oh shit. Right, okay. Right. Like, let's, right. let's see that. Um, my, my, my swing isn't, isn't necessarily that, that kind of horrific, but uh, I almost think the uh, Wendigo and, and Bigfoot, like that folklore almost connects. Yeah, I think so. I think they should make a movie called, um, called Wendigo and the, and the Hendersons and just like make it just, it's a Harry and the Hendersons, but it's a Wendigo and, you know, <laughs> Just have, finally, just have really finally just finds a family that can love him. Absolutely, just the most gruesome woods creature <laughs> with horns, and it's far, it's not cute. It's just it is just a nightmarish thing. Have you seen Night of the, the Demon? House. No, you should see Night of the Demon, nineteen eighty. Oh God. Ooh, okay. very good. Incredible Bigfoot movie. There's no demon in it, and it's not much at night. It's just a Bigfoot movie that um, mostly in the daytime. They just they called <laughs> yeah. They decided to call it Demon because Bigfoot is like, what year was that, Dave? Like 1980? Um, so. Big, Bigfoot was kind of out of fashion, so they called it Night of the Demon. <laughs> but it's a Bigfoot movie, and it is amazing. Wow. It was made oh, for yeah. television, and they got shelved. And the one of the producers went through and tried to make it like a video nasty and just added a kill scene like every two minutes. Dicks ripped what? off. Yeah, penises Dicks ripped yeah. off. All yeah, kinds of crazy. stuff. It's great. Night of the Demon. It's going in my letterbox yep. right now. Oh, Doc, nice. Oh, that's Here we go. There it is. Nice. Oh, it's not. It's on my letterbox already. Oh yeah. All right. All right. Well, Josh, we have to thank you so much. First and foremost, uh, when we first started this podcast, one of our goals was we're going to get to talk to people like you, and we're going to get movie screeners. Yeah. But you made that happen. Yes, that's so cool. So, you know, we've talked on on this, uh, you know, in, in our conversation about, you know, people dropping the bucket back down, your sister and other people in the industry. You did that for us, for sure. And the other thing uh, is we're now talking to Travis and Sarah. So we're going to be doing a follow up, a Wounded Fawn episode with both Travis and Sarah. So um, we're trying to get a Wounded Fawn out there as much as possible, because uh, I think this is going to be a smash I uh, love the fact that it's going to be on Shutter. And honestly, if there's anything, anything else you want to, you know, pitch or uh, that you have going on, or you know, where the listeners can find you, please take that time now. But we were so excited to do this, uh, and it lived up to every ounce of expectation. Oh man, so it was such, such a pleasure, guys. Thank you, thank you so much. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm envious that Travis and Sarah will get to do this experience for the first time all over again. We do these uh, like director features on our podcast and you're in some good company because you're like the only newer person we've done. We've done like Cronenberg and Toby Hooper and all the, the classic ones. And then we just covered last year, both Scare Me and uh, Werewolves Within. Uh, and we did a week of it because we just thought that you're such a refreshing voice uh, in our, our subgenre here. Oh, man. Thank you. Huge, huge fan, Josh. Cannot wait to see what you do next. Check out joshesmindhouse.com, just like it sounds, joshesmindhouse.com, and A Wounded Fawn hits on Shutter December 1st. Thank you so Thanks, much, Josh. guys. Thank you, Josh. Man, I feel like we're friends now. Yeah. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, Same great job. Thanks. Have a good evening, everybody. It was a All pleasure. right. You too. You See you later. Too. Thanks, care. Josh. Bye-bye. Kevin's out. That was great. That was an hour. Yeah, that was amazing. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Fuck, man. That was awesome. Yeah, I know. I'm psyched. So fucking good. You want to grab a beer? Right now? Yeah. Yeah, where? Uh, I don't know. Evelyn's? I can just come and get you. And then if you. All right. Uber and then back. I'll Uber home. Yeah. All right. I'm ready. All right. I'm coming. All right. All right. All right bye. Awesome. Bye.